to the eighth episode of Mets Mafia. CJ Owens here with Brian Cunningham and Greg Walsh, as always. Good month of baseball for the Mets in May. Um, so we'll definitely get into that. We're just excited to be back for another episode. I'll throw it over to Connie to say hello to everybody. What's up, everybody? It's definitely a good month of May. I mean, we can't ask for more than first place at the end of May. We're up six games over 500, 26 and 20. Got a lot to talk about, though. It's been some months. Good to be back, boys. We took another brief hiatus, but we're here to talk about what actually was a good month. I know we were, uh, we seemed like it was going to be a little lost at times, but we still have the largest lead out of any team, any division leading team right now. So all good things. Yeah, nice little factoid from Greg to start off the night. And yeah, the uh, quadruple A Mets were really able to hold their own. <laughs> I mean, you had the uh, cast of Misfits out there, man. Those dudes were. Uh, not much major league experience, and the guys that did have major league experience were uh, like 0 for 20, something like that. And our man Cameron Maven broke out of with a little dribbler. He's hitting 036. So, but like you said, Mets are in first place, so we are riding high. Reinforcements are on the way. We got a couple back um, last night in Arizona, so that's great to see the team getting healthy. Some uh, Seth Lugo back for the first time. Uh, recording this Tuesday, June first, so maybe he pitches tonight. He didn't pitch uh, last night on Monday. But like I said, a lot of reinforcements coming back uh, and coming back soon. So it's good to see the team start to get healthy finally. Yeah, man. Pitching, pitching, pitching. Uh, that's why we are where we are right now. I mean, you look at our starters. We have three arguable all-stars. Our bullpen in the back end has been lights out. We have guys stepping up like Familia. And even though we got this cast of misfits, I mean, we're putting together enough runs where we're going to win these ball games. I don't know how they're doing it but they are managing to do it. And I remember in the very beginning of May, it just felt like we were getting big hits late in games from guys like Nito. Uh, VR was stepping up with big hits. And I feel like this team has kind of rallied around the underdog mentality. The bench mob, man. You see everybody repping those shirts. They love that bench mob. But shout out, all I want to say, shout out Jeremy Hefner, because I think he's a big factor as to why the pitching has been so good. I mean, Screw putting Luis Rojas in a manager of the year conversation. Put that guy in there. Put our pitching coach because he's the only reason the Mets are the Mets right now. Yeah, I think uh, we. I don't think we've mentioned uh, Jeremy Hefner at all on this podcast. So that's a that's a great point, Greg. He really has done um, great things with the staff, and it's funny to see because you know he wasn't the greatest picture uh, pitcher. Uh, on his time with the Mets, you know, he was average probably at best, but I got Jeremy Hefner, you know, whatever, but he's honestly turned into be a pretty good pitching coach. He's got the staff pitching well. I think he's got guys um, performing above expectations for sure. I mean, Familia's one. He's been absolutely lights out. Um, and I, yeah, like you said, I think he's just been a really good um, piece there. And like when he was brought in, it raised a lot of questions. I know my dad who hated, he was like, this guy sucked. Why is he going to be a pitching coach? But that just shows you, you don't got to be a, that great to be a good coach, but uh, he went to major league. So obviously he's a one in a dozen, but I digress. I felt yeah. the same way. I felt the exact same way. When I heard we had Jeremy Hefner coming in, I was like, yeah, this guy sucked. Uh, but then again, you're right. Sometimes the best managers are not the best players. And sometimes the best players cannot manage. So it, it's just how well of a, how good of a baseball mind you are. And he, he must know his stuff, man. I think, Greg, you hinted at it before. There actually has been legitimate conversation about Rojas being an early candidate for manager of the year, which I'm not buying into. Don't think that's going to happen, to be honest with you. But he has to be commended. I mean, this guy has done a good job with what he's been given because somehow he's getting these guys to still believe, still show up to the ballpark every day with fire. And I'm questioning less of his calls. I feel like he's getting a better feel for the team with the longer he's had him now going into May. 
but he still makes some shaky decisions. I wouldn't call him a manager of the year, but the guy's doing a good job. I think that uh, I think that's a good point, Connie. And the word that you said there, I like, was believe, because he honestly has those guys believing that they can go out there and win, even though they're um, out talented, out man, you know, guys are out injured and such. Um, but they're out there believing that they can go uh, and win. And that speaks to him as a manager. That's something that he does very well. He gets the players to believe they all buy in. I think that was something that um, when he was hired, they really alluded to that he was a player's manager. The players really respected him and bought into what he was selling. Um, so, yeah, I think that is something that he does well. We don't give him a lot of credit for his in-game decisions, but he's coming along there. Um, but, yeah, I think he really is good at, like, rallying the clubhouse and such. So that was a good point. Yeah, I know I've had a lot of Luis Rojas slander on here, and I don't think it's going to stop because I still am not too happy with how he manages the bullpen a lot of times. But like Connie said, I mean, with the hand he's being dealt, he's still winning games. He had a pretty good month of May winning a lot of games with Jack's shit and a lot of lineup every day. So, I mean, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was less decisions to make for lineup because that was a big complaint I had was the lineups he was putting out early in the year with, how stacked our lineup was supposed to be. And I didn't like what he was doing, but now since there's really no one, we were putting a bunch of no names out there is easier. And you guys said it like the guys love him. So, I mean, that's what you really want in a manager. I think his baseball decision-making has gotten better. Like Connie said, but I mean, it, there's still some small things every now and then that bother me with how he pulls guys or he, he takes them out too early. Like our guy Stroman's on the mound right now tonight. And he's been taken out of games too early at times. I feel like, but I mean, He's winning us games, so. One thing, I feel like his, him taking guys out early, he's been catching a lot of heat for, but Strowman, I agree, 100%. He's taking Strowman out too early, one too many times. But I like what he's doing with DeGrom. That's not an easy decision to make, especially with the New York media. I like how he's pulling him early, and he's watching out for our guy. He's also doing the same thing with Walker, not letting him swing his at-bats. I mean, these, are, these aren't easy calls that he's making. I don't know if he's necessarily even making them. That could be coming from up top. But if he is the one making them, they're gutsy calls, and I like it. I think we need to protect DeGrom. Yeah, I agree. You know, so saw DeGrom rip that single to the right side. The guy can just do it all, man. The guy's out there. Um, but I think, yeah, like you said, he has done a good job, like, protecting certain dudes. Don't know if that's coming from above him or um, that's the decision himself. Uh, but I thought that is something that as well. We see uh, Mason Williams out there in center field getting the start. So that's good. Billy McKinney out there as well. Uh, just running it down for you there. So, you know, some new faces. McKinney, I know Connie was talking about before we went on uh, that McKinney trade. He liked that a lot. Zach Scott has done some good things. So while we talk about the manager, we might as well bring up the general manager as well. So, uh, Connie, I'll let you just go hop right back into that. I know you had some things about Zach. Yeah, I got a. I was a little – I don't know a lot about Zach Scott before we got hired. I did. I looked into him, but I like what he's doing right now because – in this big of a market, when everyone on your roster gets hurt, you just start hearing people calling for names. And he has stayed patient, and he's made the low-value, high-upside deal. Billy McKinney, he doesn't look like he's going to be no superstar, but he plays solid defense. And he looks a little re-energized with the bat. I mean, he's making – like, he hit two bombs, and both of those homers were very well hit. I think he does have upside, and I like how he held back from – trading for a guy like Kyle Seeger or signing a guy like Puig. I like the low-key moves that he's made. I mean, even Maben look, Captain Hindsight, I mean, we got him for $1. Like, who cares? I mean, he took a shot on a guy who has experience. I like the moves that he's made. Yeah, like if we got 2019 Cameron Maven for what he did with the Yankees, that would have been perfect. It just, it was a failed experiment, but it lasted a little too long. I mean, I get he's a seasoned vet. They wanted to see what he had, but that was, that was a tough one. But 
Billy McKinney, correct me if I'm wrong, he had a little promise to him when he was coming up as a prospect, I think with the Yankees, and then he had a really tough injury, and then he kind of was just bouncing around, and he's been waiting for his shot. I mean, that like that's a guy I like going out and get as well. I mean, I liked the move, the Maven trade at time at that time, but it failed. But the McKinney trade was a similar type move, like you said, and it was low risk, high reward. And he's given he's got some defense, he's got some wheels out there, and he's got a little bit of pop. I mean, yeah, he's not gonna be an everyday guy. We don't need him there. We just need him to get through until whenever Scooter can get back. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's something that um, kind of has gone under the right. He hasn't really made the big move, just done all those um, like little things. And I think that uh, that does have its point because, you know, you just need these guys for like a couple weeks, maybe like a month. Um, and honestly, like you said, Billy McKinney, he's been bounced around a little bit. So his back is against the wall, you know, so if he doesn't perform there, he's probably out of the league. You know, Maven's probably done now as well. They traded him for a dollar. Um, yeah, like you said, that means nothing. Steve can stick uh, Steve Uncle Stevie sticks a dollar where the sun don't shine you know so like he got that it does whatever with it so it meant nothing to go out and do those things but he's going with, with these guys that are kind of have their back against the wall so they have to go out there perform play hard and that gets it done in the short term a little bit so especially with um other guys starting to come around a little bit reinforcements coming in I think that's uh I think that's a very good point yeah, he's been dealt a tough hand, man, just like Rojas. I mean, between Rojas, Sandy, Scott, they've all had their hands full this year. And we're 26 and 20. So we're three and a half up in the division. So I commend those guys. I think they're doing a good job up top. While we're talking about McKinney, why don't we just dive into the rest of the new guys that have kind of came around? Like, have any new guys caught your eyes that you think, hey, like maybe this guy could stick around? Well, yeah, I was just alluding to Mason Williams. I know I kind of just interjected there kind of off and just said the uh, starting outfield alignment. But, yeah, Mason Williams, he's been raking in uh, AAA, so it's good to see they brought him up, got rid of Maven for that. Um, So I think it's good to see what he can do, maybe smack some balls around. Like I said, he only probably needs to be here for a couple weeks, so anything after that, if he does perform after that, that's gravy. So um, just get it done for the time being. If not, I mean, like I said, there'll be other guys with their backs up against the wall that will play hard and, you know, give it a shot. You know, you play hard, thing, good things are bound to happen every once in a while. And when the luck runs out, on to the next. So, and those guys, other guys will be back soon, like you said, McNeil, Scooter. So, I mean, the bar stepped pretty low. Maven was 0 for 23 till he got his hit. Khalil couldn't even hit water if he fell out of a boat until he had that one big knock. So, Mason Williams got up in his first at bat last night and smacked the single. So, He's already off to a better start. And he made a sweet play in center field when, uh, when Castro was pitching too. So we're just kind of plugging in and playing and it's working. And we're, we just got to be grateful it is until we get the real guys back. Yeah, I feel like just one other name that I would point out maybe is Janesh Vargas. He actually did a serviceable job, a serviceable job when he came up. I remember that catch he made in Miami. That was a sick catch. He hit 286 with the bat. I mean, he didn't even draw a walk. So you could tell he's raw. But – I kind of did like what I saw out of Janeshri. It's a shame he got hurt. And then one other guy, he already had a spot on the team, but we've been seeing him play a lot more with these injuries is Peraza. I've been impressed with Peraza. I hope he's around for the whole year. I think he's a good piece off the bench, plays pretty good defense, and he's even shown he's got some pop. So I like Peraza as well. Yeah, I know, Greg, you brought up Cleo Lee. Um, I kind of needed to say something about that because I called for him to get a chance a little bit, and uh, he didn't really make contact until he got that hit, and that's the only one that he has. So he really was not um, putting competitive bats up there. But he showed some good things with the glove. 
Um, so that was good to see, like you said, on to the next. Peraza has played well. Um, and then we were looking at the stats before. If you told me Jonathan VR would be tied for a second with the most games played with Tom Smith, uh, I would. It, you told me that before the season, I would have said you were crazy. But that's where we are now. VR has played very well. Um, I, we spoke a lot about that time in the beginning. We like that depth signing. He's turned more into a starter now. But like when those guys come back, he'll be pushed back into that depth role. And that just makes this team even better and uh, hopefully grow more of a lead in that division. Yeah, I know I was calling for Khalil too for a while and it was very disappointing, but we saw some stuff. I mean, the kid has wheels, he played great defense and his swing is just, it's too big. He swings too hard and too big. And once he can simplify that a little bit, maybe we'll find more success. But I know me and Cunny had been talking about it weeks ago. And I mean, we were kind of desperate, so we kind of had to call him, but he's the type of guy where they kind of rushed him into the bigs a little early. Yeah, our hand was, was a little shitty that we were given, but he needs the time to develop and he can find it down there until he can get his chance at the bigs because he, he can't get better if he's just going to continuously strike out and struggle like that and lose the confidence at 22 or whatever age he is. It's just not good for a guy like that. But Peraza, man, that was a guy I remember in the beginning of the year when we were talking. It was such like a low key, I think like a minor league deal at the time. Like it didn't seem like much. And we were talking about it. We're like, oh, we have Jose Peraza as a guy on the 40 man. We can call up from the alternate site. And the guy's playing every day at this point. And I think that one doubleheader, he had like three or four hour RBIs out of five of our runs. Like he's been a key guy. And it's just, it's funny to see these little moves really paying off and how important they've been for us. Yeah, 100%. Clearly, listen, you saw flashes, like just bottom line, like you were, you guys were saying, he's just not ready. He needs more time down to see minor league pitching, not major league pitching. But VR, I've been a big fan of. I mean, you're going to see him play all the way until I think McNeil gets back because JD is going to come back and we need his batting lineup. So I see him being put at third, as solid as VR has been. But then VR is going to probably slide to 2B and Peraz will be a bench guy. But VR is going to continue to step. And while we're at it, the VR Pilar situation, uh, we haven't been on, I don't think, since Kevin Pilar took that 94 mile per hour fastball off the face. That guy's a warrior, man. I can't believe he was back in the line. He was back in the game last night. He got that big knock in his first at bat back. I mean, this guy just shows no fear. He is a great presence in the Mets clubhouse. I like what he brings to the table, and I'd take that guy on my team any day. Yeah, I think Pilar, like you said, he got that gruesome fastball to the face, and he's bounced back so fast. You know, these other guys got these soft tissue injuries, and this guy took a hard fastball off his noggin fractured. Uh, bones in his face and he's back out there so like you said he's a warrior good to see him get that hit yesterday um, and that just alludes to another good move and like you said a good um, good clubhouse guy you see uh, Stroman posting the pictures with him and Walker all the time they had their onesies on before the trip uh, so it's good to see them vibing in there and uh, one more thing about clearly I know we've talked about a lot maybe too much um, but I don't think it hurts to see him go up there and he kind of struggle a little bit because now he knows what he needs to learn on like you said Greg that swing is just way too big um, so as long as he went up there, it didn't shatter his conf confidence and he can learn something from that. I think that's a good learning experience to be uh, pushed down a little bit. You know, you got to get back up and that kind of shows uh, what kind of player you are and such. Um, and then I did want to add, I know you said JD, not in the AAA lineup tonight. They said that he would be. So who knows what's going on with his rehab assignment, man. I feel like he keeps getting pushed back and back. So, um, but they did say he was going to be begin that assignment on Tuesday. Today is Tuesday and not in the lineup. Listen, VR might have just been – he might have played himself into that starting 3B role. I know we keep saying when JD gets back, we need him his bat and we love him and stuff. And I am a big JD fan, but 
the way VR has been playing, you almost can't even take him out of that. I mean, yeah, it'll be easier because Jeff probably won't be back either. So either 2B or 3B will be open for him. But also Peraza has been playing good. I obviously would sit Peraza and go JD and JV. But I, I don't see VR coming out of this lineup any, anytime soon. He's, too, he's playing too important of a role. His defense has been pretty solid. He's been making some nice plays. And he gets on base. He's swiping bags. Yeah, he gets thrown out from time to time. He had that big blunder in Miami and that excruciatingly terrible extra inning game we were in where he got picked off third and extras. But the guy is playing a very important role. He's a high-energy guy, and he's a seasoned veteran who is good for these young guys that we have coming and filling in. You know, he's another voice for the guys in the clubhouse besides Lindor because everyone's kind of taken to Lindor. But he's not really backing it up. You see a guy like Villar, uh, Villar who's been doing it for a, a while, and he's playing well. That's what that's good for the young guys. Yeah, I think VR's definitely been good, but he is hitting like 235. I mean, he's doing a solid job, but I don't I think when JD comes back, he's gonna be right in at third base. I just feel like he is he is needed. And not only is he crushed the ball at the major league level, but before he got this setback with his neck, he was hitting homers, he was lacing balls on his rehab assignment. So I think the guy's in 390 before he got hurt. And VR is going to definitely play second base because JD cannot play second base. We all know that. He'll be at third base and he's shaky at third base as it is. But I feel like that's just something we're going to have to put up with because how much longer is our pitching staff going to be holding everyone to two runs a game, one run a game? I ask you guys something because I know Dom plays left and he's made a lot of great strides. I was, I was about to bring that up, Greg. Do that's you think crazy. Dom could play a little right field maybe? And they could just throw in these guys filling in in center, and maybe he could play a little right, and then JD could sprinkle in at left. Because listen, JD's not great defensively, but I don't think he's. I mean, he's probably just as bad at third and left equally. So why not maybe keep him at left a game, see what Dom's gotten right. He might be able to hold it down because his defense has gotten so much better. And you keep JB at third, and Peraza will get his days at two B. I mean, it's something to mess around with. You know, we kind of have that luxury right now with how things have just been working wherever we plug it in. I, I feel like that's a possibility. Yeah, I agree. I think that, like you said, we do have that luxury to experiment with things. I kind of um, was thinking sort of different kind of when um, McNeil does come back type thing, when we get one or two guys back before uh, whoever comes back first with uh, Scooter or um, McNeil, kind of just if – uh, JD is still playing well, like you said. Uh, VR is not hitting too great, 235, but he's doing all the other like little things. Well, provides other things, speed, playing good defense, and uh, Dom hasn't been hitting uh, for much power at all. You know, he's made strides in left field. Not a great defender though. He's only uh, the slugging percentage is only 333. Like we expected that to be his batting average almost. So that's poor. Um, would you see JD playing some left field and Dom kind of taking some more time on the bench when things get back? And VR still playing third, you know, I think that's something that could happen, especially if uh, Dom doesn't turn it up a little bit. I know we've spoken about that in the past, but I think that's something that we could see. And it's funny that you were about to say something about JD and Dom in the outfield. I kind of was thinking the same thing, just a little different. What do you got on that, Cummy? Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't even think about that. And you've seen the Mets throw McCann at first base. So I feel like this team is desperate for making moves that's going to click at the right time. And Rojas, I could see him absolutely trying to do that. I think that's a great idea. I think Dom has shown that he could handle. He's enough of an athlete to make the adjustment. I would, I would give him a shot. I mean, listen, at, at the point of what our roster is, why not? Go for it. And I don't want to gas myself up any more than I already have, but I will say I did say to Cunny a couple days before the Mets did it that maybe they should mix up McCann at first if he could handle it. 
because him and Nito, I mean, you're paying him McCann all his money. Nito had been our best hitter at the time. It would have made sense to do it. And they did it. And who knew the guy could play a little one B until Pete got back. So it worked out nicely. It was better than seeing Patrick Mazika out there on a daily basis. So, and then, you know, McCann found it a little bit with the bat from time to time. He had that four hit game the other day, which is nice to see, you know, we've been waiting for him to finally show us something besides roll rollovers to third. So that was nice. But one thing I, uh, I want to shout out about, I know we alluded to how great the pitching's been. And I made a little bit of a, uh, I almost made a big claim last, last week on the pod, but I, I'm sticking to my guns now with it. Marcus Stroman will be an all-star. I'm saying that right now. And I think the Mets are going to have three all-stars this year. And I would never have thought it, but I think they're all going to be starting pitches because you know DeGrom's going to be there. I think Stroman's worthy. And this guy, Taiwan Walker, is on his way to an all-star game. And it, it's just, I mean, who knows? Maybe even four if, if Diaz keeps pitching well the rest of the summer with his perfect save opportunities he's been this year. I know he's been banged up in the non-save opportunities, but we might see three, maybe four Mets in the All-Star game come halfway through the season. And I think those three guys in the staff are all have earned it by now with how well they've been. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, you look at the bats, I don't think we're going to have any bats in the All-Star game this year. I mean, unless someone goes on an absolute tear up until the All-Star break, I don't think we're going to be seeing any offensive players, but I agree. I could see absolutely four pitchers being in there. Diaz, I agree, he's been roughed up a little bit in the non-save situation, so that hurts him. And Taiwan Walker, I don't know what his inning situation is, so he has to say a little. He has to say solid for a little bit longer for me to give him that. But I could absolutely say Stroman and Degrom. I would say Degrom's an absolute lock, obviously. And then we have Stroman, who's pitching his way there right now. Yeah, I agree. I think those are good points. The pitching staff has been well. Like I said, probably won't see a uh, Mets hitter in the All Star game. Maybe Pete will do the home run derby. You know he loves that. But the pitchers have been great. Um, I think Degrom for sure. Um, Stroman, maybe I think he definitely has pitched well and they deserve it. You know, New York crowd will vote for him. Um, but you know, we're speaking about great Mets pitchers now, and uh, it's the anniversary of the Johan No No. So, you know, that's a great thing. Only one in Mets history. Uh, thank you. I don't know who the third base umpire was that night when Carlos Beltran ripped that ball on the line, but you know, we don't have to worry about that because it was a no no, and Johan, uh, I think he did great things for the Mets. You know, uh, he pitched fantastic that first year. Um, I think maybe first two years, then he hurt his knee. Um, and then his shoulder after that. Um, so that really hurt. Um, but, you know, he gave us that no-no. And he's joining Gary, Keith, and Ron uh, live now for the SNY broadcast. So that should be great. Uh, zero-zero game. Stroman is pitching well. Um, so that's good to see. I just wanted to bring up Johan. I know you guys will both have uh, lots to say about him. So go right ahead. Yeah, that was, I mean, listen, you wouldn't think, <laughs> it's crazy to think we only have one no-hitter in our history. I was, they just throw, showed a stat. We've had 26 complete game one hitters, which is just also pretty wild, you know, to see that we've come that close. But that was a, a special moment for us Mets fans. I mean, I still remember it, watching it back. I was thinking I was in middle school at the time. And a little fun story, I think my brother was supposed to go to the game with like for like a school trip, and then it was like a chance of rain, and then they bailed, and then, you know, what do you know? He missed the only no-hitter in Mets history, so he's still sour about that to this day. But Stroman went to the game. Oh, was he there, really? Yes. That's that's great, but, I mean, Johan was always one of my favorites. I remember when we got him, I, I was so happy, and he was great for us, and we kind of – I think that game he, he pitched – his heart off he pitched his arm off to get that for Mets fans and he was never the same after but it's it's something he'll he's going down to Mets history forever with 
Yeah, absolutely. Nohan, you got to believe he, what do you have, like 134 pitchers or something. That guy, he really just gave it all he had. They're showing a graphic right now, actually, on SMY, 3.18 ERA and 109 starts with the Mets. And CJ, you alluded to that first year. He had the lowest ERA in the league in 2008 with the 2.53, I think it was. But also just Mike Baxter, he gave up his career to make that catch and to save the no-hitter. That's one of the better catches in Mets history as well. June 1st is just a great date for New York Mets fans. Yeah, you know, Cunny, uh, shout out now. People, Mike Baxter, like you said, made a great play uh, to save that no-hitter, risk his career for it. And um, I know we spoke about trading for Johan. That was a big thing, too. And I think one of the craziest parts about that trade um, was that Phil Humber was one of the guys that we traded for him was and didn't really turn out to anything, but he ended up throwing a no hitter and that became that was before Johan and such. So that's just crazy. A guy that we traded was not really anything good, but ended up throwing a no hitter. It wasn't with the Twins. I'm pretty sure it was with the White Sox um, when he threw that. I'm not a hundred percent sure, uh, but yeah, it's just crazy to think you have something like that. Uh, you trade for Johan. He's great. He throws our first no hitter, and the guy we traded also throws a no hitter. Yeah, we're lucky enough to be doing this pod right now while uh, SMY has Yoan on the phone. And we just listened to him say some really good things. I mean, my favorite thing that he said is hands down. He was talking about the, the situation with the Mets at the time. We were not a good baseball team in the early 2010s. And it was a real down, down point for this organization. And he was talking about how everyone just needed something to go crazy for. He was talking about the energy in the stands. He was talking about the workers at City Field, lifelong Mets fans. And he just wanted to put on for the city. And honestly, that 130, whatever pitches it was at that point in his career, that was that was a big dagger in his career. But it was winding down. He stepped up for the city when we needed it. And Johan should live. Uh, he's going to live on in Mets history forever. He's got the only no-hitter that we've ever seen. One thing I'll always remember about Johan, man, was that changeup was so nasty. He had one of the best changeups in the game at that time in his prime and still in, in those years with the Mets. It was, he was a special pitcher for a while. It was, it's a shame those injuries got him at the end of his career. I agree. Like you said, that changeup was absolutely ridiculous. It was one of the best pitches in baseball at that time. Definitely the best changeup in baseball. Um, Connie, I just want to get back to what you said. I think that also was like the best uh, quote of that night. Uh, that was a great question by Gary. As always, you know, Gary is uh, top tier and never misses. And he just asked him, he said that he saw the pain uh, and agony on Terry Collins' face because he knew he just had that capsule surgery. And he was at, like, the pitch count was climbing. He was very erratic in the beginning. And for him to just go out there and uh, just shove, like you said, to go out there and do it, he knew that uh, he has no regrets. Um, what his exact what he was like at that point in my career, he was like that situation. He had no regrets. He just wanted to go out there and do it. He knew it was gonna be very special. Um, so like Cuddy said, when he said that situation, I think he was referring to the Mets weren't very good. He knew he wasn't gonna be pitching in October baseball. Um, he's coming off the knee injury a couple of years prior, and then that capsule surgery. So he wanted to give his all good for him. I'm so glad he got it. And then just one other little note, they asked him about uh, if he thought when that ball Beltron hit, if he thought that was a hit, he was like, uh, he said he had no idea. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that for a second. He definitely thought that was a hit. I mean, the ball hit the line. I mean, umpire said it was foul. So, yeah, definitely a big exhale, but he had to think that was a hit. I know my heart wouldn't drop if I was in the mound when that happened, so I wasn't buying that. But Johan was great out there, good to hear him speak. And like you said, great no-hitter, great part of my century. Hey, thank God replay wasn't a thing back then. 
Oh, if replay was a thing, we would have lost our minds, man. But shout out to Gary Cohen, too, on the call. I mean, that was one of the best calls in Mets history as well. All right, so while we're at June 1st, big shout out to Johan Santana. But let's go back to our May Mets. One thing I want to point out, guys, are two, two win streaks that we put together. We had the seven-game win streak in early May. And then after a bad series against the Rays, dropped one against the Marlins, the boys pulled it back together and are currently on a five-game win streak. Hope I just didn't hit them with the jinx. But the boys are rolling. They've been putting together consistent stretches of baseball somehow. Yeah, just consistent stretches of baseball, like you said, with the misfit, misfits of guys, man. Like the lineup definitely isn't at its peak. We've had our injuries, and they're just going in and getting the job done. So that's just something you like to see. Um, playing hard-nosed baseball, good effort, good pitching, good defense. And, you know, that's really all you can ask for, some timely hitting, and that's the recipe for success in the major leagues, you know. You get that done, you know, the power hasn't come around yet. But uh, as the reinforcements come, I think we'll see some more pop from this lineup and everybody will start going uh, June, July, I think, with some fireworks, you know, uh, for those holidays. I think you'll see some fireworks from the Mets lineup as well. Something I, I've, I realized, too, in May, while we had the misfits out there and our main guys were all kind of on the bench, we were all big on this whole bench mob theme this year. It's been, it's been the big what we've been riding on. And now our main starters are kind of turning into the bench mob hopefully when they come back because it's been great to see these guys who are coming up and don't really get a chance in the big leagues on any other team if this doesn't happen and they're riding so hard for these guys every day they're getting hyped you love I, I would see pete on the top step every day even when he was injured just like that's the energy that makes us that we have a team finally like we have it, it i'm getting 15 vibes of how everyone was there playing for the guy behind and in front of them you know not just playing for themselves and that's the key to this success, I think. Yeah, as you said there, Pete on the top set, uh, top step. Pete with the line drive single to the left side there. So good for Pete in the top of the fourth against the Cardinals. Still 0-0. Cunny hoping not for the jinx. We hope for that as well as they are on their five-game winning streak. But, yeah, the team is playing well. I think you said the Tom teams Smith just the... with a nuke. Ah, there you go. He said I oh, we were talking about his slugging. We were wow. talking about his slugging. We're always good for it on that smile. We're always wow. good for breaking the boys out. We should honestly just start recording the pods during the game so we can just jinx <laughs> the guys before it comes up. And then, boom, I did the same thing with McCann last episode. He was James McCann. Now he's James McCann. And Dom Smith on the queue. We're talking a lot of rubbish about Dom. And he goes out there, puts 435. Let's go. We got Stroh on the bump. Dom, big homer right there. Let's go, boys. Let's roll. One more thing I want to point out about May while we're on it, though. Nine and one at home in May. 15 and five at home on the year. I like how the boys are playing at City Field. I believe that City Field is one of the most electric places to play in the MLB. It's a hard place to come and take a game. In the past, it wasn't that way, but I'm hoping from here on out the Mets Stay good at home. That's always a good – it's always good to go enjoy your team at your own home stadium. And as the summer comes around, you know, more people will be coming out to the games. The schedule's free up. I know the capacity is going to start to increase as well. You know, Mets fans have, have been waiting for this type of a team in this season for a bunch of years now. So they're going to be out there, and it's going to be a great environment to play baseball in. I mean – you see it on the other side of the coin with the negative whenever Lindor is struggling and how vocal they're being, which I that needs to end because that's just we shouldn't be showering booze onto our star player no matter how bad he is. It's just it's not good for any anyone's mental 
sanity in the game, but it, it's showing how much they care at the same time. So when we can win nine and one in a month at home, that's, that's awesome. And once there's more fans out there, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a tough place to play in the summer and in the fall. Yeah, City Field is an electric play. I love going there. Oh, my God, that 16-game package myself. So I'm excited to go to some more games. The last one I had on the 28th against the Braves uh, got rained out, so that sucked. But, yeah, good to see the team play well there. Um, they're going to – I know the Phillies went to 100% um, capacity, so it looks like the Mets and Yankees will be doing that soon. Uh, they came out with those vaccinated sections at first, and they were trash, not good at all, basically the worst seats in the house. Um, they came out, they um, – edited that they put changes on it and now the vaccinated sections are much better so i would expect um in very short time that city field will be at full capacity um i also got moved back to my original seats and they said i would only be moved back there when it's at 100 percent capacity so that looks like um that's what the move is there so we'll see lots of fans at city field for uh summer baseball electric they got lots of good eats i think city field is one of the best stadiums um in the major leagues just a fantastic part much better than yankee stadium your uh, grandma's house over there is museum you can't touch anything only thing you can eat is chicken fingers and fries um not great not great but city field is uh very high end i love that place and very excited to go to more i went to a uh one of the yankees astros games actually in may and i got that uh that chicken finger bucket man i have never my stomach's never felt worse in my entire life than when i got through with that thing that was i couldn't even make it halfway that was just a heart attack in a fucking bowl it was brutal i had my my friend jerry went to a game man he said the same thing i think he had the steak sandwich with herd pat and herd that's what he went with jared pat and herd and uh, the dude's stomach was not not happy with him after that, after that steak sandwich. So they cut that off a rhinoceros in the back and fucking really send that out. You can't beat City Field. Shout out to our boy Jack uh, Jackson Hill. The helmet nachos at City Field, also A1. As we're on City Field shout outs, got to give big shout outs to uh, you two, Cunning and Greg. They uh, did a little ticket giveaway on the Twitter. Um, they went ahead and got the tickets from me, and then they – Shout them out on Twitter, and they gave a live giveaway. So definitely look more for that. It was our uh, Brian McLaughlin was the winner for that, went that Mets game. Um, so look for some more stuff like that on our Twitter, Mets Mafia. You know, we'll be on there um, doing some things. It was great to see Cunny and Greg do that. Uh, they couldn't go to the game, give them away. So great to see that. Make sure you tune in on the Twitter. I mean, we should really be thanking you here, Slim. They were, they were your tickets that you were kind enough to offer up. So any – uh loyal Mets Mafia members over here. Make sure you shout out Owens, Owens underscore zero over there. The man who's with the kind heart. Yeah. You never know. We'll uh, slide into your DMS for some clout there, you know, maybe a little retweet, you know, you get a little ratio, yeah, maybe a little something slides in there for you. I, I didn't say that that wasn't on air. wasn't me, but we'll see, you know, go around, see what it does. Yeah. We got to be giving away tickets for the month of June. We got a big, uh, big month coming up for our Mets. Big month. My next game is the Mets-Padres game Friday night. That game is going to be electric. I do have some scheduled conflicts, so I am in between, but um, that game is going to be nuts. Friday night against the Padres. Obviously, they played the Padres in San Diego this week, uh, but then they get them in back in New York. Uh, I think it is on the 14th? No, the 11th, I believe it is. Um, and then the Cubs is the 14th. I also have tickets to that game. So good to see two games back to back against some uh, good teams as well. 
Yeah, you hinted at it, CJ. I got the teams right here that we're playing. We have seven games against San Diego, four against Chicago. We have five against Washington. We have six against Atlanta, and we have four against Philly. So it is a big month. We got some good baseball coming up. These teams are no easy wins, and it's going to be a big test. Not only do we have a lot, a lot of games, but I'm looking at the schedule. We have three double headers scheduled for this month too. All divisional matchups. We have this big road trip we're going on right now. You know, hopefully we can handle it well in San Diego. That's going to be a tough four gamer. I think our pitching is going to be up for the challenge, though. We get to hopefully beat up on the Orioles in Camden, which is always a nice ballpark to watch a game in and a nice stadium to hit in as well. And then we got, like you guys were saying, Cubs-Padres going to be some tough games as well. But then left last half of June, we have that's going to be a really big two-and-a-half-week stretch. We got that four games in three days against Washington, four games in three days against Atlanta, four games in three days against Philly. And if we could take three out of two, two or three out of four in all of those, uh, we're going to be looking really good halfway through the year. Yeah, I think that's definitely some good points running down the schedule there for June. Um, I think it definitely gets tougher. I know we had some uh, tough games in uh, May. We had a tough series against Tampa, but I feel like we played a lot of cupcake teams. I know St. Louis is no slouch. They are very good. Um, we played well against them. Um, but uh, we had before that, we had Arizona. You know, they're they're not very good. Baltimore also not very good. Atlanta hasn't played well at all, you know, so that is tough. We beat up on them. That's also good. Miami's not very good. And Colorado has been absolutely dreadful on the road. I think the Mets win was their second win on the road or something like that. They definitely do not have more than uh, four or five wins on the road. So they've been dreadful and then able to beat up on Atlanta again who, you know, we've had their numbers so far this year. So hopefully that uh, stays the same. But June definitely gets tougher with the schedule. So hopefully we can keep the momentum we built um, as we face some tougher teams with some more talent and such, because I think we did beat up on the teams we were supposed to in the month of May, even though we were shorthanded. Yeah, even in May, Greg, you Greg, you guys both hinted at the divisional games. In May, we went 6-3 and three, uh, actually against the division. And that was huge because I think on the last pod, I even mentioned how I was worried about the timing of these injuries because we had some big divisional games coming up. But they took care of business 16-3. and three. I think their record, I think they probably got about I'd say 12 already division wins. I'm going to look that up right now. Yeah, division division games are everything. You know, with how tight this division is, and, you know, like I was saying, we have a big lead on them right now. Obviously, the non-division games are always key, too. But we're playing, uh, I don't even know, four, eight, like 16 games almost in a two-and-a-half-week span that are all in the division. We can really create some distance and some separation in the NL East if we can win a lot of those. And if we keep playing how we have been against, so I think we have the best record as well in our division in baseball than any other team. So these are all just good signs pointing towards hopefully, you know, another NL East division title. Yeah, I just want to uh, jump in some injury news. Strasburg out again, left the game after 30 pitches. And uh, some news for the upcoming series. We got the Padres on the schedule, uh, like you said, for seven games. And uh, Fernando Tatis, El Nino, left the game uh, with an oblique injury. So that's something to look forward to. Fantastic player. Um, obviously want him back soon. Maybe not against the Mets. Uh, I like the team at City Field, though, but uh, maybe not for this series in San Diego. Uh, make him make sure he gets well, give him that time to take care of that oblique of his. And, you know, it might be a little tender there. But uh, I think you guys made some great points um, bringing up that other stuff. I don't know if you guys want to get into um, 
for the back half there. We got a two nothing game. Mets doing well. Stroman pitching. Uh, and we're moving well, like you said, through the month of June. Hopefully we go in there and take some series to start the month. Yeah, and just going back to the divisional games at the end of June, we have an opportunity to make our division league bigger, like you were saying, Greg, and that's going to be big with all these injuries we have. If the Mets can get a comfortable lead in division, you don't have to rush all those guys back. You're not feeling the pressure of trying to get them activated too, activated too soon, which we've seen happen already. We've seen guys come back and then have setbacks. So you can take your time if you get a nice, comfortable division lead. Yeah, that's one thing that's been concerning me about all of these guys that have been injured. We, I feel like we're almost trying to rush them back a little early, and then you see them keep getting delayed. It happened with Syndergaard. happened with Nimmo. It happened with JD. I mean, you can't really control a lot of them. Who's to say they are rushing them back? But it's just not an encouraging sign if you can list off several names and it keeps happening. So if they can create that cushion and then they can really give guys more time until maybe mid-July or whatever the case is, for that'd just be better off. Yeah, I really like what you said there, Greg. Like, are they rushing them back or is it like kind of just what happens, you know, like it would happen regardless? Um, that is something that, it, you know, it is concerning. You see a lot of like the guys are um, getting injured or re-injured. That's something you don't want to see. Are they being rushed back? We don't know. But uh, like when we have a lead like we do, like Honey said, or one of you guys did say we're the biggest division lead in baseball right now. So uh, when we have like a lead like that, the other team's not playing well. Um, we shouldn't be rushing these guys back. You know, they should be out. Uh, we should wait by the time, especially when they're our stars. You know, they're guys that we need for the playoff push come October and such. So that's just how I personally feel about that. Well, you know what? We got a couple guys back this week, and I am, I'm beyond excited to see what Seth Lugo is going to be bringing to the table, man. I, I've been waiting for him all year, and it's going to be fun. He's going to be key for this pen. Only add on. Yeah, who would have thought that we'd be saying he'd be coming back to arguably the best pen in baseball right now. I'm really excited to see that role that he's going to fill in, too. I have a feeling it's going to be, like, the middle relief, long relief. Like, if we have need two innings, let's say, if our starter comes out in the six and he needs to go six, seven, seven, eight, I feel like that's going to be his role. And like you said, Greg, I'm excited to see the guys get back. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, his role will be that high leverage guy, maybe multiple innings thing. Um, so I think that he, uh, he'll he eat kind of into Mickey Cashman's role. I know Mickey's been very good. He's pitched well. Um, but I think that that's kind of what uh, Lugo's role will be, kind of that w one main guy out of the pen kind of take into familiar kind of as well. But uh, Lugo, I think any high leverage situation, um, middle of the order type thing, guys on base, you'll see Lugo in there uh, kind of for multiple innings, some double switches um, to get him those multiple innings. Yes, sir. A great addition of the eighth episode of Mets Mafia. Uh, we were very happy to be back. You know, we had some Johan Satana. We were able to listen to him um, and give you some feedback about what he said. Good Mets game going on up to nothing. Um, so hopefully they can close it out there. Stroman pitching well, some timely hitting like we've mentioned on the pod. Um, but we, yeah, we're just happy to be back on the pod. Always give a shout on Twitter. Um, follow us on all platforms. This will be out soon. I'll let Connie uh, say goodnight to everybody and LFGM. Yeah, it's definitely good to be back. Sorry about the hiatus, everyone. We got New York playoffs going on. We're all big. Uh, we got all three of us are Knicks fans. Got I'm an Islander fan. But we're going to try and be better with that week-to-week -week basis. But follow our Twitter. We throw all of our thoughts on seven. As soon as something comes to our minds, we'll throw it up on there. We did a ticket giveaway, so follow us at Mets Mafia. And 
we'll be back next week. Let's go Mets and let's continue uh, what we've done in May into June. You said it best, Connie. We had a great May for what we are with the hand we were dealt. Let's have an even better June. LFGM. Yes, sir. One more thing before Connie did say we all threw our Mets fans. I will be at game five for the Knicks. uh, All three of us are Knicks fans. I'll be at game five for the Knicks tomorrow. So let's go Knicks, LFGM, blue and orange. And uh, make sure you should listen to all of it on the platform. Thank you, folks.